On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll recap the draft and preview free agency, which starts at 6.01 on Friday, June 30th, and it begins with the face of the franchise and Tyrese Halliburton. I know that Fieldhouse Files has a prolific following. You know, I just want to be careful about sharing too much with the world. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, thankfully, some of this smoke and uh, that's coming up from Canada is finally going away. It's been awful here in Indy over the last couple of days. It's kept me inside more than I'd like, no doubt about that. If you missed it on Monday, as I continue to do more with... 107.5 The Fan, I co-hosted the Midday Show Monday, and they also post that all on the podcast, but I got into a lot of stuff during that show, which was basically three hours committed to the Pacers, the NBA, and the draft, and what happened last week. So let's get into that, and a lot went down, but not nearly as much as I think we all had hoped for and maybe looked for them to do. We heard of course, Kevin Pritchard talk about how they wanted to go big and wanted to um, make a splash a little bit. And because they had the optionality to use one of their key words there, ultimately they went from five picks to four picks and maintained that flexibility. Uh, they made three trades over 48-hour span to shuffle the picks, including one of them uh, pushing a first to next year. I thought that was really smart. Um, they did not need three first-round picks this year. And then another deal right during the draft when they were on the clock, they kind of pit some teams against each other, and in doing so, got the Wizards to give up two future seconds, coming in one in 2028 and one in 2029 to move back just one spot and draft the guy they wanted all along in Jarris Walker. That's who I pegged for the team you know, the start of June when uh, Kelsey, a reporter from the Memphis Grizzlies, had me on her annual kind of draft show. And I had to go, of course, and draft who was based on who was available. Jarris was available. And so that was easy selection for me. They had really liked him for quite a while. Not only was he talented, has rooms to grow, but he also fills a humongous need there on the wing at Power Forward in particular with his body, his enforcement, uh, his defense, his versatility, uh, hasn't shown that he can step out and knock down the three with as much regularity as you would like. But there is so much to like, I think, about Jairus. He spent just one year at the University of Houston playing for Kelvin Sampson. Before that, he kind of went on the, the trajectory of a pro from overseas. I think about Jan Mahimi. I think of Boyan Bogdanovich, Damanis Sabonis, guys that left their home and became a pro, earned a paycheck at a very young age as a teenager. And that was the case for Jairus Walker. He's got three sisters, and I love that. Uh, much in large part, like last year, I related with Benedict Matherin, whose birthday is the same as I. Well, Jairus Walker has three sisters like I do. So that was kind of fun for me. And they were each at his introductory press conference held on Friday. It just already impressive, young, energizing, enjoyable family that I look forward to getting to know, much like I have, say, Miles Turner's 
family or Tyrese Halliburton's uh, family, those that are here for more than a year or two. But a lot to like about Jairus Walker. And and uh, then they were able to get Ben Shepard of Belmont, a, a 3 and D type guy. Grew like three plus inches from his sophomore to junior year. Stayed all four years at Belmont. And that's really impressive in the day and age with NIL and players willing to jump to another team if it means a bigger role or a bigger program or more guaranteed money or uh, just a bigger name or more national TV exposure, etc. But both Jarris and Ben Shepard, just likable guys, much like Tyrese, much like Jarris. Uh, ben, you're going to notice him by his patented smile. I remember turning to Dustin Dopierak, who covers the team for the Star, joining last year, and uh, Right away, when after Ben's pre-draft workout, I go, "Did you know?" And we both smiled. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I just haven't seen a guy so optimistic and positive, and really present was the other big thing about his experience during the pre-draft process with the Pacers. There were several individuals that kind of stud, stood out among the rest, just kind of with the interview, and maybe it was their positivity or what they. Jordan Miller from Miami was one of the other guys, just. Had his head on straight, said all the right things, um, acknowledged some stuff. Gigi Jackson acknowledged his faults. He's just 18, 19, and realized he's got a long way to go. He has a lot of talent. Um, but that's the one thing, and I do appreciate that with the Indiana Pacers, that they allow us to cover the workouts. I don't say attend workouts because uh, it's not like we're watching them go through anything, nothing like that. Maybe at best we'll get to see them for 10 minutes afterward, putting up shots, those sorts of things afterward right before they talk with us and usually it's groups of six and you know much of the time we're talking anywhere from four to six of them during the those workouts that did end up having about a half dozen solo workouts including Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks, Cam Whitmore, another guy um, that jumps out and uh, yeah so Shepard really impressive I don't think people are talking about what he can do defensively as much as we know and we have seen what he can do offensively coming curling around screens knocking down threes able to space the floor get to the rim uh, he was selected there at the 26th pick so you look back and ultimately how about that trade the Pacers made with the Cavaliers for Car- um, sending away Karis Levert ultimately it became Ben Shepard and then Andrew Nemhard because of that 31 pick last year. Yeah, I'd definitely say they won that deal and came out all right ultimately from that. So, well done. Uh, there were a lot of players on the board, I'd say four or five, that I would have been really excited about for the Pacers at 26. Leonard Miller was one of them. Uh, went several spots later. I was disappointed Omax uh, was taken by the Dallas Mavericks before him, uh, especially with his connection with Benedict Matherin. And all that, I thought that would have been a really interesting pick right there. But it was not surprising that they went with a wing and forward and Jarris Walker and then addressed kind of the 3 and D shooting and defense with that second pick in Ben Shepard. So um, Shepard is a little bit older, much like Duarte, four-year player. So uh, Shepard, several years older than Jarris Walker, who's barely 19, right? And now they're going to continue to live on his own because of what he was able to do at IMG Academy, which was really impressive. And I learned over the last week how Jarris was the number one rated eighth grader during his time for whatever that's worth. I still remember, I think Yogi Ferrell at, here in Indianapolis was like the number one ranked sixth grader, you know, a decade back. 
not really worth much. It does kind. It's kind of like mock drafts to me. It kind of gives you an idea of where a player stands amongst the rest or the trajectory they should be on. But so much can change. So much is based on maturity, both physically and internally. Um, but it's clearly worked out for Jairus Walker and all that. So then the Pacers had two more picks. They had 47, and Mojave King is who they drafted from G League Ignite. Very raw, but another shooting type. Um, I spent the last year with G League Ignite. He'll be with the team in Summer League. I don't expect him to be around the team next season. Then at 55, Isaiah Wong, a guard out of Miami who just loves the game, loves playing, loves hooping. You know, hadn't met a basketball or a, a pickup game he doesn't want to participate in. In many respects, in that light, reminds me of Benedict Matherin, ultra competitive, desire for more. He can get a bucket, too. That's for damn sure. Um, and, and so a lot of those characteristics that the Pacers have targeted, especially over the last couple of years, I've seen really come to light, I think, through their last two drafts, which I think they have done very well. But as always, good or bad, you got to give it at least three years to have a true picture and understanding of players and where they're at and maybe what they can become. That's why Isaiah Jackson can't quite get uh, to a conclusion just yet. We still need to see for another season what he looks like. Same with Chris Duarte, uh, a guy that had a really good rookie season, impressed more on the defensive end than I was expecting, uh, but then last year just couldn't get healthy and ultimately became kind of a, a crap year for him where he was never comfortable, uh, never in rhythm, and it really wasn't his fault. It was just ankles kept bothering him and had to sit out, and it all goes back to that Kyle Lowry injury. I think it was one game after he had a career game. I think it was in Brooklyn. Um, so that was just disappointing for him. More on them probably in a future episode. I will address one thing, only because IU fans and Pacer fans were very active and in, in, in talking about this, and that's Trace Jackson Davis. Why didn't the Pacers draft Trace Jackson Davis? It would have been 32 years after they drafted his dad, Dale Davis. And I made, wrote a big feature about Trace Throughout this draft process, I think it was probably earlier in June, about Trace, his development, um, and talked to him about Dale. He really doesn't talk about Dale much. He's he's more so a figure in his life, but not really a father or dad by any means. That's really Ray Jackson. But to keep it short, because this is more Pacer-centric podcast, really after pick 35, you want to start controlling your own destiny. And Golden State Warriors basically told him, hey, we'll give you a three-year deal. So at that point, he's not wanting a two-way contract. And so before picks are turned in, teams talk to the agent and make and basically clear things. Or agents take a proactive approach and call teams and say, hey, don't draft our guy unless you're doing this. Or we already have a deal with someone, so you know, would you do me a favor and not draft him? Those sorts of things. So Trace was probably going to Golden State no matter what. It just happened, as I kind of tweeted, that if Golden State could trade back into it, they're a team to watch for Trace. Well, they did that. They got the 57th pick. And so Trace, who was celebrating here at the Nowhere Bar and on Mass Ave with friends and family and the, the IU basketball team players bust up from Bloomington to be with their teammate, their leader, the past couple of seasons, which I thought was really cool. He was drafted 57th, agreed, as I reported on FieldhouseFiles.com, to a three-year deal with a team option in year three, and that's a perfect example of a team that's over 
the luxury tax, using the new CBA to their advantage. And what I mean by that is using the new second-round pick exception, allowing a team to sign a guy like that to a three- or four-year deal with an option and for it to not bite into their cap space and and such. Because soon there will be penalties, too, effective after this next year where if you're in the second April, I know this is very complex. They just released like 676 pages. So now we have the complete details, but it's hard to kind of summarize briefly. But uh, basically, if you're in that second April, but basically the ultimate tax here, think the Phoenix Suns, who have like three max guys. Think the Lakers. Think the Warriors, who might have a tax bill of $400 million, whereas the salary cap is not even $200 million for context. You go way over, you pay the price, and uh, that also becomes restrictions in trades, restrictions in draft picks. Maybe you lose your draft pick ultimately. A lot going on there trying to reduce what the top-heavy teams, talent-heavy, salary-heavy teams are able to accomplish. Back to what I was saying with Treso. Yeah, the Pacers were interested. So were some other teams. But you look at the Pacers roster, already they have too many bigs. Trace also looks and sees uh, Goga Bataze, and he's like, hey, look, this is a first-round pick, never got reliable minutes, never really became much um, within that system. They had overlap with too many bigs. This is not necessarily the best place for me, and I think the Warriors is a really good place. I assume Draymond will re-sign there. And, you know, he can ultimately play, hopefully be a lighter version of Draymond, of of Sabonis, and the way he functions, helps run the offense, rebounds, defends. I think he could be a nice upgrade. And he's a mature, ready-now type player, as much as you can be for a, a rookie. So I think that is a great fit both for the Warriors and for Trace. But that's how that went down. Um, and again, more more of my coverage at FieldhouseFiles.com, including a feature about that. And I should mention, by the way, his agent, James Dunleavy, uh, the new general manager president of the Warriors, former Pacer Mike Dunleavy, their brother. So, yeah, that was kind of an easy deal to negotiate and talk through and have someone on your side. Not so bad, right? Pacers did try to acquire players using their draft picks leading up to the draft and during the draft. Chad Buchanan... Pacers general manager saying after the draft there was about five players they were really trying to go after, negotiate deals with, but ultimately none of those players were traded. And as I told Chad, it still feels like all these trades, are you're working with inflated prices, and that's still because of last season and what the Minnesota Timberwolves did and the price they paid desperately, call it new owner syndrome, to acquire Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz. And in doing so, it's nuts trying to complete these trades. You saw trade during the trade deadline, there was like some players were dealt for like five second round picks. Pacers were part of a, a 14 trade where they got three second round picks back in the future. Um, yeah, you're, you're seeing so many of these players dealt for, I mean, a guy like Kevin Durant, I get where you're giving up all your firsts and whatever you don't have and you're doing, you know, the, uh, the rights to swap picks, and then you're giving up future seconds. Like, I'm not sure the Phoenix Suns have a draft pick in this decade. They are going all in. Maybe that's a little bit of a mistake, but also you want to maximize your window. If you're able to get a guy like Kevin Durant, I get it. You're just severely mortgaging your future, especially with a new owner there. And congrats to Frankie Vogel getting that job. Dan Burke relocating to Detroit Pistons assistant. And by the way, here's a little tease. Talked with Popeye Jones, who won the NBA title with the Denver 
Nuggets and Nikola Jokic working with him for the last two years. That'll be a story coming up on FieldhouseFiles.com. I asked him about what was racing through his mind after the game when he was caught on camera just going up to Jokic and going, thank you, thank you. Like, that was a fantastic moment, wasn't it? I really enjoyed that. So I was able to ask him and talk to him not only about his experience of winning the title, being with that team and seeing Jokic work, but celebrating it too. That's half the fun and and how it really represented his 30 years. This is finally the payoff for more than 30 years in the NBA, both as a player and as an assistant coach. Uh, what else do we got? Lots going on here in the NBA world. It never slows down, especially when we were able to do those pre-draft workouts where included, what, 16 different workouts, 62 different players, many solo workouts. A lot going on where it'll continue on and, and run through mid-July when we'll be out in Las Vegas for Summer League, which is probably the highlight NBA event that I attend that I'd love. Um, been to them all except the NBA Finals, and it's such a good time. It's basically our annual convention. That's what I love about it. All right, so how about the State of the Union, the state of the team right now? 14 roster spots are called for, and I'm talking the core roster spots. So out of 15, 14 are called for uh, when you include the two first-round picks of Walker and for Shepard. So without sending players on their way outgoing in a trade, they could only add one roster spot. Right now, they're one of the top teams in terms of cap space with about $32 million. Now, they don't have to spend it all, but they will have to spend more than half of it because of a new stipulation in this new collective bargaining agreement that takes effect on July 1. And that calls for all teams to hit the salary floor and be above that, which is 90% of the salary cap. And the official salary cap numbers, we don't know just yet. Hopefully we will get those coming up on Friday before the new league year. Uh, July 1 is the start of the new fiscal year for the NBA, even though it's I get, yeah, it's the off season technically, but that's how they operate. Uh, so the Pacers really need to spend, you know, another let's call it twenty million of the thirty-two million at least, and so that that means they could do a variety of things with it. I think it's most likely that they sign a free agent and then complete some kind of trade. That's generally um, what it sounded like from what I've been hearing. The challenge in doing it, like I was alluding to a couple minutes ago, can they get another team to play ball with them in terms of a trade? And and you don't want to be too desperate. You don't want to give up too much. But you do want to make a deal happen to upgrade the defense, to upgrade shooting, which they can always do, to uh, maybe add a veteran influence um, as part of it. And I'm not saying only influence. I'm saying a veteran as part of it. That's why Harrison Barnes made so much sense in a potential trade target. And uh, one of the ways in which they could handle this, this excess cap space right now, which is a, uh, a benefit of them handling their business well, a huge credit in particular to Ted Wu, who's uh, been with the team now for several years. And f- fun fact, he helped write the previous CBA, not the one that's about to take effect, but he worked for the league for many years. And I thought this was a really smart hire by the Pacers front office to bring someone in from the inside that knows this cap. And uh, when you're a team in a market like Indiana, you need to use anything and everything to your advantage. One of which being all the ways you can, it sounds bad, but manipulate the cap 
to your advantage. Um, not trying to be like deceitful, of course, or uh, or or illegal by any means, but you want to maximize it and and weaponize it in a good way here. So uh, I give Ted Wu and the front office credit with what they've done with the cap space. Now it's about acquiring and a consolidating because they got still too many shooting guards. They have too many centers. We do not need to see another alternating year of, of Jalen Smith. Oh, wait, now it's Isaiah Jackson's game. Wait, is Daniel Tice the backup? To- no, we don't need that. We already moved past the Sabonis and Turner thing. And now we need to move past that as well. And I don't think there's an obvious answer. Uh, do you choose Daylon Smith? Do you choose Isaiah Jackson? I think should they make a trade? Daniel Tice makes a lot of sense. He's like top three in salary for the team right now, about $9 million. He's probably ready f- more for a, a team that can win now versus the Pacers, whose goal is just to get into the playoffs next season. Cause it, is, it has been quite a while. Uh, since the Pacers have been there and competing. And guys like Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, they've never experienced it as players. Imagine that for Buddy Heald. He has the most games played in the league without a playoff experience, and that that hurts me for him. I empathize with him because knowing how much he cares about the game and how seriously he takes the craft and everything he does. So I would love to see that, and that is absolutely the expectation, and that's what I'm going to hold this team to. What they do here coming up in free agency should only add to it, not detract it. All right, so coming up on June 30th, 6.01 p.m. is when the teams can officially, you can't see me, but I'm rolling my eyes and doing quotes, air quotes, can officially, technically, legally start negotiating with players. For the Pacers, that means Tyrese Halliburton. He's entering the final year of his rookie scale contract. So no matter what, he'll make $5.8 million next season. That's not that much compared to what he contributes, being the best player on the team, being an all-star. In fact, Jarris Walker, as a first-year player, being the number eight pick this past year, will make more than Tyrese will next season. One other note I should mention on Jarris, uh, by being picked eighth instead of seventh, it cost him $500,000 roughly per year, and it saved the Pacers that money in addition to picking up two future seconds from the Wizards in that deal. So that is a little nuance in there that I, I find very, very interesting to be sure about how you utilize a situation and, and where it costs and impacts teams and the players um, directly. So trying to hammer down a f- extension with Tyrese is the first thing, first order of business. Fully expect it to be a five-year deal. I fully expect for it to be a max deal. Uh, There are a few things that they can negotiate, including what it looks like on the high end. Could it go up to the 30% of the cap, which is the most allowed, uh, if he is named to an All-NBA team? Now, that would only be for next season in terms of if he's an All-NBA guy. So if he's an All-NBA guy in three years, that doesn't matter for contractual purposes it's what we've seen from like John Morant this past year for example and he wasn't voted on the team therefore he is not eligible for a substantial contract increase Um, and that would take Tyrese's contract to nearly 250 million dollars it's a little hard to estimate because we don't have the full salary cap and what it looks like even for next season but I think it'll 
be over 200 million with the possibility of getting up to 250. What I'm also curious, and this is where my going covering this team for far too long brings back memories, and that was to 2013 when we were at the entry pavilion of then game or Banker's Life Fieldhouse and Paul George agreeing to a max rookie extension but he didn't take the max max which would have been that 30 percent like i referred to and back then by the way it was like 90 million dollars that's how different things have changed in just 10 years unreal right but back then paul and his agent aaron mintz of caa and by the way tyrese halliburton his agent dave spawn who was an iu guy secondary agent aaron mintz same guy as pg but uh with tyrese or excuse me with pg he said, you know what, instead of taking 30%, the max I can get, I'll take 3% less. I'll take 20% of the annual cap. But I, w- I want the player option for year five. And the Pacers agreed to do that. So paid him less, but in turn, it gave PG more flexibility. Now, ultimately, it didn't matter because Paul asked out after year three of that extension, and so it really did not impact the Pacers uh, directly there. Um, but that's something. If I'm Tyrese, I would like. But if I'm the Pacers, I am absolutely not giving it to you. I want I want full control of you for five years. No player option it would be my stance if I'm Kevin Pritchard negotiating this. But if I'm Tyrese, I'm absolutely at least asking for it and pushing for it and maybe trying to hold to the bitter end to see if I can get them to give it to to me, knowing how important I am, how I am the number one piece, how I was an all-star, I'm just... 23. I'm a face of the team. I'm, to use my description, a board of directors, as we heard KP talk in the offseason about him being uh, one of the partners, a partnership, and, and having some influence. So those are certain things that can be taken into consideration. A couple more things before I wrap up this free agency preview. Pacers have three free agents, O'Shea Brissett, James Johnson, George Hill. I don't expect any clarity on those guys for at least another week. Uh, those guys, especially J.J. and G. Hill, are guys that you would add on the back end two weeks after free agency once you know what your roster is looking like. O'Shea, I, I, everybody loves him. One of the most likable guys on the team. One of the best smiles on the team. There's no doubt about that. Love him in sunglasses. He plans to play for Team Canada in the World Cup, which I wrote about this week on Fieldhouse Files and what Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhard plan to do. We already know Tyrese will play with Team USA and Daniel Tice will t- play for Germany. I haven't confirmed it, but I believe Chris Duarte is playing for the Dominican Republic. So a lot of international flair on this Pacers roster, which adds some personality, adds some fun and, and some culture to this roster, which I love. But um, O'Shea Brissett, I could see, you know, that, that first week, Agree to a deal potentially elsewhere. Um, Pacers have a lot of cap space. They're going to have to spend money. Uh, If they don't make another trade, they'll probably, again, need to spend a significant portion of their salary. Um, But but keep in mind, O'Shea is one of Tyrese Halliburton's best friends. So Tyrese has a little bit of influence, and it makes sense for the roster and cap perspective. I know they'd love to have him back. I, I think it would be great to bring back J.J. and G. Hill, but it's just not possible. If you really can, I think it'd be great to bring back G. Hill, get him back on a one-year deal. Ideally, that lasts for two more years, and then he moves into the front office. That would be, I think, 
the best case and preferred scenario uh, for G Hill. He's 37, would like to play another year or two, more so in a mentoring role, but he knows he's he can still play emergency point guard, guard um, when you need it. Those dog days in February where some players are sick, maybe a trade just happened, and you, a team absolutely needs a veteran influence. And right now, that's probably a combination you're looking at of Buddy Heal, Daniel Tice, TJ McConnell, and Miles Turner. Uh, all great influences, all basketball guys and such. By the way, congrats to TJ McConnell getting in on ownership group, a small percentage, but of Leeds United, um, uh, a soccer club overseas. Talked with him briefly about it. He can't say much just yet. I was trying to talk to him for an interview, and they advised him, eh, probably shouldn't say anything just yet. I get that with ownership, you know, an image and setting the tone for the future. Yeah, I get that, but I think that's a fascinating story as we see players get into ownership both uh, locally and um, even overseas, and we saw that some with Victor, and Paul George had a lot of endorsements and investments as well. Uh, I've gotten a lot of questions about two-way contracts. With two-way contracts, uh, we already know about Oscar Deshibwe from Kentucky who just rebounds the hell out of it. I think Terry Taylor, a guy that <laughs> I think it was Larry Bird and Frankie Vogel always used to joke. Uh, if there's a rebound, Lavoy <laughs> Allen will go, go get it. Well, there's also Terry Taylor. Well, he's not with the team anymore. Uh, Oscar may go get it. and I, I, don't exp- I guess with a two-way contract, you can spend up to 50 50- days with the club with the Pacers um, right now there's a log jam of of centers but there's if there's some clarity there Pacers sure as hell could use some upgrades rebounding the ball they were dead last in def- defensive rebounding percentage this past season so they need help there and on defense on doing the dirty work every team can use that um, but it starts with defense is where this team could really take a, a big jump next season now the other two ways Isaiah Wong expected although that is not yet finalized that's why I have not reported that because uh, that that agreement has not been completed just yet but it all roads seem to be headed towards the 55th pick Isaiah Wong a guard to sign a two-way and then the last spot seemingly will go to Kendall Brown although there's still more that the front office needs to see and mostly that centers around his health he had uh, stress fracture sur- surgery at the end of February, so he'll be with the team in rookie and free agent camp to start July and then be in Las Vegas Summer League. What's he look like? I mean, he's been around. I've seen him during these draft workouts. We often saw players come out of uh, the gym while we're waiting to be allowed in. Tyrese was always in there, and KB, Kendall Brown, often came out. I saw Nimhard several different times, uh, Aaron Neesmith as well, but KB, outside of Tyrese, is probably the, the next player I saw most frequently. So good for him. That's smart. Young guy, just turned 20, so very young. Could play that wing spot where they need help. It just is he healthy because last year was truly like a medical redshirt year. Now, as we look ahead to free agency, I think it's most likely as we wrap up here, if they can get the improvement they want, that'll come via trade. Dorian Finney-Smith, really the guy I think they were targeting hard uh, among several players, but this I think was one of their top candidates during right before the draft, trying to pry him from Brooklyn. There's the obvious relationship as he was in Dallas with Rick Carlisle, Mike Weiner, Jenny Busick, assistant coaches there, and, and they just loved him. Couldn't speak highly enough him 
both as a player and as a person, and better yet, he's under contract for the next three years, though the last year is a player option. But that's important when you consider something like this. Tobias Harris, I think they might very much be a player in. I know they, they've talked with Philly. They, they've explored what that might cost them. The challenge with Tobias, number one, is his high salary. That's thirty nine over $39 million next season. But beyond that, he's also a free agent after that. So if you're the Pacers, you'd really like to know, yeah, if we acquire you, can we agree on an extension? Can we have success there? If it's a one and done, if you're the Pacers, why would you have interest in that and why would you give up anything for that? Um, if anything, if that was the case, you'd really want to take on some assets from Philly for taking that salary off their hands. That would be the incentive there. But Tyrese, I think, or excuse me, Tobias, I think, would be a tremendous fit. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith as well. He's not that elite-type player, but he's a 3-and-D guy that fits well. Uh, they checked in on DeAndre Hunter. Uh, we saw Atlanta make a cost-saving move in John Collins um, <laughs> for barely anything. Talk about selling as low as you could as Atlanta Hawks really trying to get under the luxury tax, and so they gave up basically John Collins for nothing. Uh, be DeAndre Hunter, nothing happening there uh, just yet at least, but he's about to start a four-year $90 million deal. So if you're the Pacers or other teams, you'd have to consider, are you good with paying him an average of like $22 million for the next four years. Now, keep in mind, new TV money is about to kick in. So in another year here, I think 2026, it would start. You're going to see inflated salaries, and this is good for the players and for the owners because they split the, the overall money, and that's why salaries go up here because of a monster TV contract expected because of the value of live TV rights. But with DeAndre Hunter, maybe that $20 million contract will feel more like 13 15 you know, right now. Because uh, right now that'd be a little higher, the the twenty two million per year, roughly, a little higher than I'd like, more like seventeen eighteen for him, um, but certainly fills a need, has great potential. Um, still, I don't think has taken off and is not even close to his prime. And of course, what team wouldn't want OG and Anobi? But I'm not sure any team in the league has a good feel for Toronto or has understood their willingness to give him up and. I had heard it might cost five first-round picks at the trade deadline this past year. And why would you want to do that? I wouldn't. I barely give that for, like, Kevin Durant, I think. So, an OG and an Obi hadn't been an all-star? Um, no, I think I might. I'd probably do. I would have done the Pacers' top three this past year, if you ask me, when they had seven, 26, 29. Heck, I'd even throw in 32. I would have done those. Um, but would I do, you know, maybe your first for the next four years? Nah, I really, I'm not sure I could do that. Especially... Because much like Tobias Harris, he's truly under contract for one more year. He always has a player option in 24-25, but with the spike expected, I would fully expect OG with this current demand, he would opt out and then get an annual salary of over $30 million per year. So again, you would have to have a wink, a nod, a private conversation to OG and an understanding, maybe is the best way to put it, that he'd be open to re-signing. I did like Harrison Barnes, but Woj reporting late Thursday that he had reached agreement to re-sign with the Kings, which makes all kinds of sense. Very comfortable there. 
players, teammates love him. He's He would have fit the veteran who fills a need, could start right away. I like the potential of him starting at the four and Jairus Walker being able to come off the bench and getting the same experience like Benedict Matherin did this past year coming off the bench, but uh, that is not happening. Three years, 54 for Harrison Barnes, who's 31. I think the Pacers should have or could have done at least two years, 48 comfortably. I would have been good with that. Again, overpay in year one because you can and you kind of need to. Uh, then take him for year two. And then at 33, you know, I'm not sure. And that's probably why Harrison Barnes wanted to lock in a three-year contract. So he's getting paid through age 34. And um, by that point, you know, I'm curious what a guy like that would look like in terms of athleticism. Shooting would certainly be there, but athleticism and, and what else he's contributing would be interesting. Uh, then there's the restricted free agent game. The Pacers got into it last year, and I detailed in my free agency primer um, and link back to my story about Herb Simon's stance on that changing and Kevin Pritchard talking with me at Summer League one-on-one about how they are looking at it differently and something they've put into their toolkit, to which like two days later they made that max offer to DeAndre Ayton, and they're probably glad that didn't work out. I mean, I don't believe all this widespread speculation, you know, Ayton's not worth much, and they're, you know, they can't even get rid of him. Nah, I think they're holding out for something more reasonable and not just trying to sell them off for cheap. There's teams trying to take advantage of that. But uh, anyway, I could see the Pacers get involved with restricted free agent market because they can, because they have that cap space. And if they did, I think there's only really two guys that make a ton of sense, P.J. Washington and Cam Johnson. P.J. Washington would be a great fit, so versatile, can knock down the three and space the floor while also defending. And I've probably said this three or four times. That's exactly what the Pacers need. And he's just 24 years old. So um, I think he would make a lot of sense. Grant Williams is another name I did list, but I'm not a Grant Williams guy. He's fine, but I don't want fine. I don't want to overpay for fine. Um, and Cam Johnson, I, I'd be comfortable to a certain number. Uh, do I want to get above four years, $100 million? Not really. Because, again, the Pacers' books are in a great spot. Not take into account what Tyrese Halliburton's contract could look like starting next year, uh, where I think it'd start at like 35-ish million, depending on the cap. Uh, <laughs> this year, the Pacers won't have a player making, or this next year after that, they won't have a player making more than 20 million because Miles is scheduled to make 20 this year and like 19.8 the next year. Um, very good book, so and so the Pacers are in a good spot, but we need to see some. We need to see a move. We need to see them get a young all-star potential talent out on the wing because the defense was crappy. It was terrible to watch, especially after the all-star break when they gave up 125 points per game and couldn't defend very much at all. That's where upgrades start for this Pacers team. It's defense and everybody else raising their game. All right, I think I've went long enough for this free agent primer. As always, subscribe to my work at fieldhousefiles.com. I do have the podcast, but I do a lot more at fieldhousefiles.com. Daily coverage there. And, of course, I share links on social media, but Elon ain't playing ball with us very nicely on Twitter too often. So that makes it difficult. I don't think it gets the reach like it nearly used to, um, unfortunately. Anyways, uh, check me check out my work there. If you're not already, you can follow me on social media, behind the scenes on Instagram, uh, when we're in Summer League coming up. But I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments on Twitter. 
And, uh, you know, I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>